one of the things I do as a, a pastor is I'm always on social media, I'm always on different websites, and I'm just trying to keep a pulse of what's happening in people's lives, and then, you know, what's happening all around the world? What is it that people are into? And it amazes me how often you'll hear people say something or they'll type something on social media that, well, you know, Jesus said, and I'm like, what? Jesus, he never said that. I mean, in fact, what he said was like completely opposite to what it is that you're saying here. And so what we're going to do starting today is a brand new series on these things that Jesus just never, ever said. And then we'll compare and contrast to see, all right, what is it that he actually did have to say about these different topics? We're going to start with a topic today that all of us have dealt with at some point. In fact, I'll ask you that, and those of you that are watching online as well, how many of you have ever wrestled with guilt? You ever had guilt before? Yeah, lots of hands going up. Yeah, we all tend to wrestle with guilt in some way. It's different for everybody, but it's something that we have. Now, let me ask you another question. Do you know the number one thing that Americans say that they feel guilty about? Anybody have a guess? What's the number one thing that they say that they feel guilty about? It's going to make sense as soon as I say it. It's food. 29% of all Americans say that they have guilt when it comes to how much did I eat or, you know, what kind of food did I eat? And I know this isn't very encouraging because we're getting ready to have our picnic. <laughs> 29% of you are going to walk out of here feeling guilty. <laughs> Some of you are like, I forgot it was the picnic and I forgot to bring my food. Now you feel guilty about that and you're wondering, am I still invited? The answer is yes, you're still invited. Please come to the uh, picnic right after our, our baptism is done. But there's all kinds of guilt that people wrestle with in their lives. Things like, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Some people, they, they wrestle with, like, work things. And children, it's like, if you're at work, you're feeling guilty that you're at work, and you're like, I should be spending more time with my kids right now. But then when you're spending time with your kids, maybe you feel guilty that, oh, I should be busy. I should be doing something at work right now. My boss is going to be upset. And so we have this, like, constant, like, battle that's going on. Some of you feel guilty because you forget, like, birthdays or anniversaries of people or that you can't attend every event that you're invited to. Others of you, you have just like this sort of general guilt, these things of, am I doing enough? Am I serving enough? There's some Christian guilt that comes in with that as well. Am I giving enough? Am I attending enough? What am I doing? Obviously, spiritual guilt then goes deeper. Things that you feel guilty about of, you know, you have pride maybe in your life or lost in your life or you're a Penn State fan or, I mean, you know, it's, it's these things you feel very guilty about, right? Now, I wish I could say I felt guilty about telling that joke, but I don't. I don't. But that doesn't mean that pastors don't wrestle with guilt, because we do. There's things that I wrestle with from time to time. Am I serving you guys enough? Am I there for you guys in the way that you need me to be there for you? So all of us, we have guilt from time to time. And so today, as we begin this series on the things that Jesus never said, I, I want to talk about that particular topic and we're going to look at a very, very famous Bible story. It's one you're familiar with. If you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23, that's where we're going to hang out today. Again, Luke chapter 23. And a little bit of context as you're turning there, or maybe you're getting uh, online there on exponential.church. You can, you can find our, uh, our talk notes there. Those of you that are watching online in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there is a little button. You can push that. That's going to take you to the talk notes as well. 
But again, context as you continue to turn to Luke 23, Jesus, he is the, the king of all kings. He is not having a crown, a golden crown on his head. He actually has a crown of thorns on his head in this particular story. He's not surrounded by servants. He's surrounded by thieves. And he's not sitting on a throne. He's actually hanging on a cross. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 32. We read this. Two others who were criminals were also led away to be executed with Jesus. Now, a little pop quiz here. This is very simple. Answer it the way it sounds. Not a trick question. How many criminals are here in the story? How many does Luke record here? How many? Two. Right. Very good. You passed so far. Next verse. Verse 33. When the soldiers came to the place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to a cross. They, nailed, they also nailed the two criminals to crosses, one on each side of Jesus. Now the quiz. How many people total are being nailed to a cross in the story? Three, right. And that's very, very important. Say that number again. Three. Three. Keep that number in mind because it's going to be very, very important a little bit later. For now, though, let's talk about crucifixion. And if you've ever been around here before, you know, especially at Easter time, I've given you some of these details before, but bear with me because some people have never heard it. And, and we've got to think about what it meant for Jesus to be hanging there on the cross. Crucifixion is one of the most brutal and shameful ways that somebody could ever be executed. In fact, they had to invent a brand new word just to describe the pain that happens when you get executed in this way. When you're nailed to a cross like that, and that word is excruciating. They had to invent this new word, ex, out of, crux, the cross. So out of the cross, excruciating pain. Now, even before you would get to the pain of the cross, you experience pain in some other ways. First of all, they would take you and they would uh, whip you. And what they would do is they would, on the ends of the strands of the whip, they would put glass or stone or bones. So that it wasn't just the whip, it was actually objects. And it would start to like dig into your flesh. And as you would pull the whip out again, it would just rip the flesh away. And they would do this 39 times to you. It would get so deep that oftentimes bone or organs would get exposed. Many people actually did not even survive the whipping before they even got to the cross. Now, to make matters worse, then they would strip you naked and make you carry your own cross all the way to the place where they were going to crucify you. So talk about shameful. And then once they would get you there, wherever that place was, they would take these seven-inch stakes. They would nail it through your wrists and through your heels. Then once they had that done, they would put you up onto the, the vertical cross or the, uh, the, the, the vertical part and you would hang there. Now you would think that, oh, do they like bleed out? Is that how most people die? The answer is no, that's not how you die in crucifixion. You know how you die in crucifixion? You suffocate. Here's why. I want you to think about for a second, your arms are stretched out like this and you're gonna start to sink down in. Right? Now, I want everybody to do a little experiment with me. Participate online at home as well. Everybody close your eyes for a second. And I want you to take a very deep breath. And then back out. 
I want you to do it again, but this time I want you to notice as you do it what your shoulders are doing. So breathe in, and then breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. What did your shoulders do as you breathe in? They went up. And what did your shoulders do as you breathe out? Back down. And what did I say happens to you as you're being crucified? You start to sink. But how do you breathe in? What happens to your shoulders? They have to do what? I mean, this is biological. Your shoulders must rise. They have to go up. But if you're like this, try to take a deep breath sometime when you're like this. It's hard to get a deep that's, that, I'm literally, can you hear me? That's all the more I can get right now. So, if you can't breathe, what's the only option left to do? You have got to push yourself up, but remember, your heels are staked as well. And so the pain of pushing through that, just so you can get a breath, but then it's so painful, you sink back down. And so this would go on two, three four days, people just suffering in this way. And the pain of, I got to get a breath, back up. And eventually, you just wear yourself out, and you can't push yourself up anymore, and you suffocate to death. Now, what the Romans would do is, after four days, I guess, as a way of showing a little grace, I don't know, <laughs> If after four days you weren't dead yet, they would take a club and just start beating your legs until you broke the legs. And that way you couldn't anymore push up. And, and part of the reason for this was crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst criminals. Because it was very expensive to do this. Because it's not like you just like chop somebody's head off and it's just done. Or, you know, today in our society, we'd have an electric chair or a firing squad or whatever. It's just done. But this is multi... They actually still have firing squads in, uh, I think it's Montana, I believe. You guys were laughing, but we still have in our country, there still are uh, firing squads. Um, so it's, it's usually an instant death, but this is a four-day execution. And so they would have four Roman guards around the cross to make sure somebody didn't come and steal this body. So imagine the cost of having to have four guards on guard 24-7 for all these days. What I want you to see is what was happening here. The, these two thieves that were next to Jesus, they weren't pickpockets. These guys had done something really, really, really horrible in order to be justified that the Romans said, we are going to execute you in the most painful, brutal, shameful, expensive way that we have. And so that's, that's sort of the scene of what's happening here. We got three people hanging on the cross, Jesus in the middle. And the crowds start to curse him, and the crowds start to spit on him. The series is called Things Jesus Never Said. Jesus hanging there and all this is happening to him. Here's something Jesus didn't say. God strike them all with bad hemorrhoids. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, God, I want you to call down the angels of heaven and strike them all dead. Jesus never said that. What did he say? Well, look at the next verse, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, do what? Father, 
forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You want to talk about grace? That's grace right there. Verses 39, then the 41, just a couple verses down. One of the criminals hanging uh, beside him scoffed. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminal told the first one off. Don't you fear God? Aren't you getting the same punishment as this man? We are getting what we what? We are getting what we deserve. But this man didn't do anything wrong. It's pretty interesting, this one criminal, he recognizes what he and the other man had done, and he recognizes that it was so bad that they were actually getting what was right and what was fair and what was just. He says, the other guy, don't you understand? We're getting, you know, what we deserve here. Which brings me to the main point of today, the, the, the topic I want to talk about. Let me give you actually a couple popular phrases, and I want you to complete these. So here's the first one. What goes around, comes around, right. Number two, your past will come back to haunt you. Number three, if you make your bed, you got to lie in it. Last one, you get what you You get what you deserve. Anybody ever said that before? Come on, be honest. How many of you ever said that? You get what you deserve. I have. You're going down the interstate, and I'm already probably going over the limit any myself, but then some guy goes flying by me, and he's weaving in and out and stuff. Two miles up the road, he's pulled over. You know what I say? <laughs> yep, you got what you deserve there, buddy. Here's the bad part. We like it, don't we? Right? If we're honest, don't we like it when people get what they deserved? Now, we don't like it when we get what we deserve. But there's that sinful part of us that we really like it when other people get what they deserve. But in this story here, this first criminal, he doesn't have that attitude. He says, I'm getting what I deserve. And the, the other criminal on the cross, he says, buddy, you're getting what you deserve as well. He says, but Jesus has done nothing wrong, and he doesn't deserve this punishment. And then the criminal, he turns to Jesus in, in verse 42. It says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Well, you know, I've never really liked you, and you're going to rot in hell. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, you had your chance. I was preaching and teaching. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? You could have come. You could have shown up. You could have heard. You could have gotten in a relationship with God at that point, but you didn't. So, nope, you're done. You blew it. Notice Jesus didn't say, I can forgive a lot of things, but what you did... Man, that is way beyond my forgiveness. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say to this man who's literally spiked to a tree, which prevents him from going anywhere or doing anything, he doesn't say, well, you know what? Turn your life around first. Then you can get to heaven. You prove you can be a good person. Then you can come to heaven with me. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, start to come to church, start to tithe, start to serve. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. Jesus never said that. And most 
Certainly, Jesus didn't say, sorry, buddy, but you get what you deserve. Jesus never, ever said that. Instead, what does he say? Verse 43, Jesus said to him, I can guarantee this truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus forgives him and he promises this guy heaven, even though this man didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it. Jesus just gives it to him. It is a gift. It's a promise of heaven. Now, some of you are going, Gilbert, that's not fair. I mean, this man didn't deserve Jesus' forgiveness. You know what? You're right. He didn't deserve Jesus' forgiveness. But guess what? We don't either. None of us deserve the forgiveness of Jesus. This man's story hanging there on the cross, it's my story. Some of you heard, you know, my story before. For the first 20 years of my life, God was 11 to 12 on Sunday, and the rest of the time was do whatever in the world I wanted to do, and I did. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, lying, cheating, stealing, getting into all kinds of trouble. But then July 27th and 93, two men shared the gospel message with me. That what I deserve for all my sin, what I deserve for the life I was leading, was eternal punishment in a very real place called hell. But that God was willing to offer me a gift, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of eternal life, and the gift of a brand new life right here and right now. And so a little over 30 years ago now, I made that decision to start following him. One of the verses those guys shared with me that night is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, where the Apostle Paul says this, you were saved by faith in God, who treats us much better than we what? Than we deserve, right? He goes on, he says, this is God's what? This is God's, what's it say? This is God's, it's his gift to you, and not anything that you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned, so there is nothing you can brag about. You and I deserve the wrath of God, but instead God gives us his gift, a gift of love and of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of eternal life, and again, a brand new life, a fresh start right here and right now. And so here's how I put it on your outline if you're taking notes. Jesus didn't come to make me good. Jesus came to give me a new life. Say that again. Jesus didn't come to make you and I good people. He came to give us a brand new life, a life that's going to last forever, a life with him in heaven. And yes, that does reflect right here and right now. And to explain that, let me just say this. Imagine what it was like for that criminal to hear those words from Jesus, that today you will be with me in paradise. To know that his past had been wiped clean, that he had a, a fresh start and a brand new opportunity. Imagine what that was like. Now, here's something else I want you to imagine, and, and I'm making this next part up, right? So th this isn't from Scripture, but I, I, want you to, I want you to imagine if as Jesus was there on the cross, and he says this to this man, today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine if the Roman guard said, this Jesus guy is really, really forgiving. 
Maybe he really is God. And so imagine they took Jesus down off the cross, or at least they offered to take him down off the cross and let him go. But imagine when Jesus has given that offer, he says, no, 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 don't take my body down. Take that man's body down instead. Leave me here. Let him start a brand new life. Imagine that. And again, this isn't what really happened, but imagine it. He gets taken down off of the cross, and the, the, the wounds that he has are horrible, but they would eventually heal. But now he has a second chance at life, a fresh start. What do you think that man would devote his life to after that? What do you think? He's gotten a, a second chance. He would probably devote his life to anything that Jesus was about. Because this innocent man was willing to die for him so that he could have new life. I want to know what that man is about, what he had that I don't have. Because selfishly, we wouldn't say, no, take somebody else's body down, would we? But yet that's exactly what Jesus did. Is he offered this Man, again, in this hypothetical scenario, a new life. But what you need to understand today is this isn't a hypothetical scenario. Yes, that actual story of the, 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 uh, the, the thief coming down off, that is hypothetical. It's a made-up story. But again, we are that thief. You deserve to die for your sins. You deserved eternal punishment in hell. But Jesus said to God the Father, let me continue to hang here. You take them down. You give them new life. You give them a fresh start. So that criminal story is our story. That criminal story is my story. That's why for the last 30 years now that I've said to Jesus basically every single day, look, it's not about me anymore. Because what I deserved was hell. But you gave me a second chance. And so God, whatever it is you want me to do, wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to say, whatever it is you want me to give, whoever it is you want me to serve, I'm going to do that. See, so many people, they devote their lives to money and, and career and, and cars and houses and their hobbies and going off to this activity and that activity and getting your kids on the right soccer team and doing all these things that are, quote, unquote, the American dream. But we're not to be about that. We're to be about the things of Jesus. What was Jesus devoted to? Because whatever Jesus was devoted to, that's what we need to be devoted to. So what was Jesus devoted to? Well, he said, I'm going to start this thing called the church. It's my bride. He said in, in the, the book of Hebrews that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, that we're to gather together one day out of every seven to worship together, to pray together, to hear the word of God together. And he said that each of us have a part of who he is. So I've shared with you before, I'm just the big mouth when it comes to this body. But each and every one of us play a part in who Exponential Church is. And so we need to continue to gather together and be who it is that God has called us to be. And together we become that perfect picture of Jesus to our Harrisburg community, for our Hagerstown campus, to the Hagerstown community. Be devoted to the things that Jesus was devoted to. 
Okay, and I didn't get what I deserved, and neither do you. And so let's instead say, since he died for us, the least we can do is now give our lives back and return to him. Now, as I start to wrap up today, let me remind you once again, how many people were hanging on the cross? What was the number? Three, right. I keep having you say that number because some of you may not understand, uh, even know, that there's this thing called biblical numerology, and that certain numbers get repeated over and over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture, and those numbers mean something. So let me give you some examples. The number one always is about unity. Four, the earth. Five is always about grace. Seven is perfection, so godly perfection. Lower than God's perfection is number six, which is man. And what is man's number? Six, 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 right? Uh, Eight is new beginnings. Ten is about the law. Forty always has to do with trials and testing. Every number means something. There's always a spiritual theme behind it. So what about that number three? Well, the number three stands for completeness and wholeness. So let's look at some of the examples throughout the pages of Scripture. God is what? God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. We as human beings, we are three, body, soul, and spirit. God is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He's omnipotent, meaning he is always present. He is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. Think about in the book of Revelation, you know, Jesus is said to be the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The grace of God, there's three types of grace that God gives us. There is his justifying grace, his sanctifying grace, and his glorifying grace. Think about the the patriarchs. There are three generations that got the nation of Israel started, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The temple, three parts, the, the outer courts, the inner court, the holy place. The angels, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When God completed the fullness of his word through the New Testament, he gave us 27 books of the New Testament. That's three times three times three. Let's look at the life of the apostle Paul. Paul was blinded for three days after he saw a bright light from heaven. Paul, three different times, he prayed that the thorn that he had in his side would be removed. Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Malta for three months as he was out sharing the gospel. Look at the life of Jesus. The wise men, they come and they present to Jesus how many gifts? Three, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus, at the age of 12, is separated from his parents for three days. Jesus' public ministry lasted for three years, starting at the age of 30 and ending at the age of 33. Jesus was tempted three different times by Satan in the desert. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he was closest with three, Peter, James, and John. Speaking of Peter, he had predicted that Peter would deny him three different times. When Peter was restored there on the beach after Jesus' resurrection, three different times Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me or not? God spoke audibly to Jesus three different times. Jesus raised three different people from the dead, Jairus' daughter, a widow's son, and Lazarus. Jesus prayed three different times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Tradition tells us that he fell three different times while carrying his cross. So we've already talked about there's three men hanging there in this particular scene. The sign above Jesus' head that said, King of the Jews, was written in three different languages. Jesus was hung on the cross at the third hour of the Jewish day, and on the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., he uttered three different words. It is finished, and then he breathed his last breath for the next three hours. The sky went dark. 
the world went silent. No hope. No life. One day goes by. Two days go by, nothing. But on that third day, two women report that the stone has been rolled away. Peter and John, they sprint to that tomb and they discover that it's empty. The number three, completeness, wholeness. It is finished. Jesus rose again from the dead so that our sin can be forgiven, so we can be given that fresh start in a brand new life. What we deserve is hell, but he paid the penalty for hell so that we don't have to. Now, I know some of you are are saying, and I know some of you online right now, you're saying, hey, you know what? This sounds too good to be true. Right? There's, anytime you hear something that's too good to be true, there's always a catch to it, isn't there? Guess what? There is a catch. But it's pretty simple. Jesus paid the penalty of sin for everybody, but he says, you know what? You need to reach out and receive that gift from me. You're going, well, how do I do that? How do I receive this gift of eternal life and a, a brand new life? How do I receive it? Very simple. You just ask. Like I say, there is a catch, but it's pretty simple. You just simply have to ask, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Show me the way that you would have for me to go. Give me a fresh start and a brand new life. And he'll do that for you. Don't take my word. Look at what John and what Paul say about these things. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John writes, If we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to forgive us and take our sins away. And Paul says this in Romans 10, 9, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever said, you get what you deserve. Instead, he says, I want to forgive you if you'll just simply ask. That's it. That's the gospel message. That's what this book is all about. That as human beings, we've sinned against God. We are deserving of hell. But that Jesus, who was God in the flesh, made it possible for our sins to be forgiven so we can have eternal life forever, but that brand new life right here and right now. And Jesus says, you know what? If possible... Again, the guy on the, the thief on the cross couldn't do this. But if possible, Jesus says, what I want you to do after that, once you've made that, that decision for yourself, is I want you to get baptized. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change that you made. Baptism does not save you. Baptism, again, is just a, a sign to others of the decision that you've made to be saved. And so in just a couple moments, we're going to go outside. We have two men that are going to get baptized. They've made that decision. But what I'm here to say, and Bill said it earlier, is it's not too late for you that are here with us today. If you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come in to be the leader of your life, do that today. And again, after you do that, as soon as possible, you should be baptized. 
Well, how much more sooner as possible can we be than we have the pool set up outside ready to go? And again, you may not have the clothes. You didn't come. My mom the other year, she spontaneously got baptized. Um, she heard the message and she said, I didn't come prepared, but man, I'm getting baptized. And so she got baptized and you survived. She's still here. So see, you won't die just because you have a little bit of wet clothing on. And we have a clothing ministry that downstairs, there's all kinds of clothing. We can go down and it may not be like fancy or anything, but we'll, we'll get you some clothing that you could put on something dry, right? And enjoy your, your picnic that way. But look, every single one of us needs to not only pray and ask for his forgiveness, but at some point as believers, not as babies, because a lot of people are confused. That's not baptism when you're a baby. That's dedication. That is speaking of your parents' faith to raise you in a way to get to know Jesus. But then once you're an adult and once you've made that decision for yourself, then you need to be baptized. So again, it's not too late. But join me right now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gospel message um, that really when we boil that, that big old book called the Bible down, what I shared today is what it's really all about, that you loved us enough to come and, and die in our place because what we deserve is hell, but you're giving us heaven and you're giving us a brand new life here. And so with every head bowed here, every eye closed, if you have never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be the leader of your life, I'm just going to ask you on the count of three in just a second, I'm going to ask you on the count of three, just put your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Nobody else is going to see it again. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody else is going to see it but I want you to just raise your hand until I acknowledge it, and then you'll be able to put it back down. For those of you that are watching online, there's going to be a uh, little button that's going to pop up in the chat that says that you're praying this prayer. So if you need to pray that uh, prayer as well, uh, let us know that way. So again, if you need his forgiveness, if you need his leadership, if you've never done that before, if you know that you deserve hell, but yet you want heaven, this is the day. Today is the day of salvation. So ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Put those hands up nice and high so I can see it, and then you can put it right back down. Anybody here today? Those of you online, again, click that button. Anybody here today? Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. I need you. I need your forgiveness. Anybody here? If your heart's beating really fast, then that's probably the Spirit of God speaking to you right now, that you are the one that needs to make that decision. Anybody here today? You need to do that. All right, I don't see any hands here. There may be some there online, I'm not sure. But I'm going to have everybody pray this. It never hurts for us just to be reminded of the decision that we've made. So pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, living a perfect and sinless life, and dying in my place for the life that I'm living. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. But you're giving me your grace your mercy, and your forgiveness. And so from now on, with the help of your spirit living in me, I'm vowing to live fully for you. It's not about me. It's all about you. Jesus, we thank you that even though I didn't see any hands here, but there may have been some online that uh, but maybe some people, were, they just didn't want to raise their hand, and that, that's fine. But maybe people are hearing this in months or years ahead as they watch the, the rebroadcast of this. Lord, I, I just pray that you would help them to have that assurance of eternal life, that they would know that they know that they know that they know 
that they are forgiven, they are free from sin, that yes, they once deserved hell, but now you have given them a fresh start. Again, Jesus, even for those of us that have made that decision in the past, give us that assurance that you love us so much that your blood washes over all of our sin. Jesus, thank you that you did that for me 30 years ago and for many others that are, some are longer, some are shorter, but you do that just when we simply ask. Thank you so much that you didn't make it difficult of we got to do this or we got to do that. No, you just said, just ask. So thank you again, Jesus, for who you are, all you're doing in our lives and all that you're going to continue to do. Help us to devote our lives fully to you not to the American dream, not to stuff. Help us to give our lives fully to you, your church, your people, loving like you love, and most of all, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Help us to have that kind of exponential impact with our lives, Jesus. Thank you again. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.